Do you find yourself saying you're too busy for Bible study? No more excuses! Now there's a way for you to participate in a 30-minute study from your phone, tablet, or computer from anywhere around the world. Aaron Olson of Sandalfeet Ministries teaches lunchtime lessons via Facebook Live every Thursday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time at facebook.com slash sandalfeet. This podcast is recorded during the Facebook Live event for those who'd like to listen to the teaching again or help out in case you miss a week. So grab your lunch, your Bible, and a notepad before we begin. If you'd like to get Aaron's teaching notes, you can visit sandalfeet.org and click on Books and Bible Studies to see all the available free Bible study material. Hey, thanks for listening today, and we hope you tune in each week for Lunchtime Lessons. So quickly, let's let's talk a little bit about what's been covered so far in 1 Timothy. The first chapter, we talked about uh, false teachers, false doctrine, what that means to guard the gospel, fight for the gospel, celebrate the gospel. Last week, we talked about, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we talked about public worship, what that meant, what that looked like. Paul was specifically addressing um, some divisive men in the church and some divisive women in the church. Um, and what it looks like in the context of, of believers, what we should do and, and not do, how we should uh, carry ourselves as believers in Christ so as, to not the hurt, so as to not hurt the body of Christ, as well as those who don't know Christ yet. Uh, we never want to be the person who dissuades someone from coming to know the Lord. So we need to make sure that we are doing what we can to um, walk worthy of the calling that has been placed upon our lives to be Christ followers. So in 1 Timothy 2... Towards the end, I ran out of time, but we were talking um, about when Paul talks about women in the church. Um, women should learn quietly, it says in verse 11, and submissively. Verse 12, he says, I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. And then he goes on to talk about how God created Adam first and then the fall. Briefly, um, what was Paul talking about here? There's three schools of thought. There's probably a hundred schools of thought, but three schools of thought that kind of make sense, but that don't give us any conclusive answers. Uh, I wish we could have a discussion with Paul and ask him what he was meaning here. But there's a universal interpretation, basically meaning that um, gendered roles are ordered as they were according to Gen Genesis 1 to 3. And... While it not be, may not be understood right now in this age, and it creates some uncertainty for us here in this present age and is often quite uncomfortable, we'll only understand it in the coming age and what that means when, when God is united with his bride once again. So in the universal interpretation, it means flat out women are not allowed to teach men and they are not allowed to have authority over men within the church. Um, there's another school of thought, it's called a polemical interpretation. It basically means that Paul was addressing a specific instance in the church at Ephesus. Um, the teaching, remember the false doctrine we talked about, one of the false doctrines they were teaching was not to marry. So these false teachers were stirring up trouble within the family relationships. And, and we know that God holds the family picture in high regard. Um, it's a husband and a wife, children following dutifully to raise the next generation. It's super important in the order of creation. If we didn't have families, we wouldn't have more people to come alongside us. So um, so we, the women in this particular church, in the church at Ephesus, might have been talking um, and asserting dominion over men. Remember, we talked a lot. If you don't remember, um, go back and look at my notes or rewatch the Facebook Live or listen to my podcast. But uh, 
he was talking about the women in Ephesus and they were following this female goddess of Diane of, Art, of Ephesus. And she held dominion over men. She held all the roles that Adam held. So if the women in the church were teaching this false doctrine, Paul was like, no, we're gonna stop that right now. Um, and so he wanted to quiet the false teachers. That's a school of thought. The third school of thought is it's a cultural interpretation. Now remember back then and in some culture still today, it's very patriarchal. And so women don't always have the opportunity to get an education. They don't have the opportunity to learn the word of God, if you will. They don't get to go uh, sit among the elders. They have to stay home and do the housework. And so um, we talk about, uh, he talks about that. And, and so maybe they were saying that, listen, women can't teach men and have authority over men because women don't have the opportunities to sit and learn. And if they don't have the opportunities to sit and learn, then they're clearly not qualified to lead, as we'll learn in just a few minutes what it means, what the qualifications for an elder or a pastor are. And so uh, Paul had a tendency, though, however, to fully engage women in ministry. There's so many examples of him utilizing women um, in different aspects. So excluding women altogether was not likely for Paul. Uh, he talks about women in Galatians 3.28, 1 Corinthians 11.5, Acts 18.26, Romans 16, 1-7. He um, uses women in his ministry to move the church forward. So Paul didn't necessarily not like women. Um, I think what we need to look at though, when we're talking about when we're talking about women teaching in all aspects, whether it's women teaching women, women teaching children, women teaching men, whatever it is. Uh, two things maybe we should ask. As a woman teaches or leads, is she reflecting God's pattern in Scripture? And as a woman teaches or leads, is she reinforcing God's priorities in the home? So those are two questions that we need to ask. You know, I think oftentimes when we're talking about false teachers, let's let's be mindful that if, if, if a, a man or a woman is saying that a woman has authority to teach but neglects her duties at home, that's not God's design. I know there's a lot of stay-at-home dads, and so these are new issues, but um, you know, the, the original design was that for women to care and nurture children, they are the ones who are called to birth children. He goes on, Paul talks about women bearing children, that they'll be saved through that. And basically that just means commentators will say and scholars will say that he was basically saying that, listen, if you follow the way of, the, of God, the ways of God, that, that you're going to be birthing children and then you and your household will be saved. Because women, remember, you have a, uh, a handprint on your children. You spend a lot of time with your children. You raise them in the home. And so he basically says, you know, if, if assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty in that last verse 15 of chapter 2. So there's a lot of debate. And, and I wish I had the right answers, all the answers, but I don't. I've prayed fervently all week, Lord, um, Holy Spirit, you have to give me wisdom and discretion and discernment and all of that to teach this very difficult, divisive sometimes um, scripture. And I don't have the answers. I don't really know. But um, what I do know is that throughout the Bible that there are so many women who are called differently than others. Uh, we have Judge Deborah. She was a female judge, for goodness sakes, during the time of judges. And, and people went to her um, so people sought her. She didn't place herself there. She was placed and highly regarded by people. Uh, God chose Esther to go against the laws of the land and, and approach the king without an invitation, which could have been her death. And Esther still went. 
So um, he chose Mary, a virgin um, who could have been stoned to death to birth his son through. Um, so I don't know, God has a place for women. And so I don't, I don't know who we are or who, who anybody is to say what the, the capacity of which anybody will use one person. Um, they're endless and, and God can use anyone if we're willing. And I think sometimes we just have to have open and willing hearts to heed the spirit in times of need. And, and, and go from there. So we'll continue to talk a little bit about what this means in chapter three. Um, but first, let me go to the Lord in prayer for this chapter. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are just so grateful for your word today. Lord, we don't have all the answers. And sometimes your word is so difficult to understand in today's context and, and within our own cultural context. So Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us much wisdom today. Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear things, Lord, perhaps for the first time, because you're speaking to this generation. Father, I pray that you would continue to help us see our worth in you. Lord, that we are all created equal. Lord, there's neither male nor female, Gentile nor Jew, Lord, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody listening today, who doesn't know you yet, Lord, that you would awaken them to the truth of your word, Father, that they could understand uh, your love for them and that they could learn to participate in the local church and the big church, Lord, and that their place in heaven would be reserved. I pray that uh, if they hear the gospel today, that they would respond uh, because today is the day of salvation for all. Lord, we pray these things and ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we get into 1 Timothy chapter 3, as always, I'm going to read the entire chapter, and then we'll go through it. So again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, if you have any questions about that. This one is a trustworthy saying, if someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. 
And those last verses are the gospel. Praise Jesus for that. All right, so 1 Timothy 3, 1, first of all, he's saying, listen, this is a trustworthy saying. He said this before. He said this in a prior chapter. This is trustworthy. It means it's true. Paul was telling Timothy that the statement he was about to give was to be trusted. Um, and, and what this tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it tells us that church leadership matters. Not only does it affect the entire church body, it has the potential to affect those who have never heard the gospel. If church leaders are casual about God and holiness and missions, then the church will fall short in these areas. If the church leaders don't care about these things, the church isn't going to care because it's the, the leader who leads. We need to remember that. So in this chapter, we're going to be looking at the foundation of leadership within the church. What does it look like? There's two, uh, there's two levels of leadership that Paul talks about in this letter to Timothy. He talks about elders and deacons. Now, some would say that elders equals servant leaders and deacons are leading servants. There's a difference in those things. The words sound similar, but there is a difference, and I'm going to explain why. So elders being servant leaders. Church leadership is designed by God to be a display of his glory, right? It, the church is his bride. It glorifies him. It brings him glory, and it reveals his glory throughout the entire world. And when the church needs to be dependent upon his gospel, I was thinking about this this morning when I was reading through Exodus chapter 18, when Jethro talks to Moses, when he comes in to visit Moses, and Moses was there busy listening to everybody's case, and Jethro's like, Moses, you can't do this alone. You need some help. You need to find some leaders who can come alongside you and help with the work so you can do the big stuff. And that's kind of what happens here in this chapter. The elders or the pastors, if you will, in this context, they're really the pastors of the church. Remember, Paul is planting churches. He has written to Timothy, who is going to instruct the churches in Ephesus, many of which we're thinking of a church as one building, but many of these churches were conducted within homes. Um, and so these were many churches in that place, and he was planting these congregations, and they needed local leaders there. Paul couldn't be there all the time. Timothy was one, but one man, unless he wanted to run around to 17 different house churches on a Sunday afternoon, um, it's not possible, right? That's why we have many churches planted throughout the world. And so you have a local pastor, an elder, and then you have deacons who help the elder. And so when Moses, when Jethro was talking to Moses here, Jethro was like, Moses, you can't do it by yourself. And this is kind of the picture, a preeminent picture really of the early church. Like the pastor can't do it alone. Um, the deacons, they can't do it alone, but everybody else needs to do it too. And But we need these particular people in positions of leadership that kind of move the ship. Uh, we need a captain and a co-captain, if you will. And so they're moving the ship and we all need to know where we're going. And, and this is their job. This is their call. So what's an elder? Uh, in verses uh, 1 to 7 of chapter 3, he kind of lays it out. It's more, An elder is a work, not an office. Some people just want the job. But it's a calling, and it's a work, and it takes discipline and diligence to be an elder. It's not to be taken lightly. It's so serious. People's lives are at stake. Um, the term elder appears often in Scripture. It has different descriptions and uses, but in this chapter, it describes a unique leadership position within the church. Prior, um, sometimes elders were referred to as the older people, um, the more mature people, the more wise people. Uh, we think about the elders and the religious teachers and the law, and they were, you know, the older people, the people that had 
put in their time, if you will. But in this context, they're using it in the they're using it as pastors. They use it as that word uh, in Ephesians four eleven, and as overseers in Titus one seven. So they're basically pastoring, they're shepherding, they're overseeing the local church. And we know these terms are interchangeable because of the way Paul used them in Titus. He said, um, I'm an elder. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife. And he goes on in Titus 1 to 5 to 9 to kind of reiterate what he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In verses 5 uh, of Titus 1, 5 to 9, uh, you can go back and look at that. It's a lengthy, lengthy verse, but it's in my notes if you're able to pull those up on sandalfeet.org, book of 1 Timothy, or... Um, or read it through in your Bible, Titus 1, 5 to 9. But the first five, the word elder appears, elders, and verse seven, the word overseers appear. It also, it also is a connotation of the word bishop, and this is where some of the early Anglican churches and different churches get the word bishop, kind of the big bishop oversees the local pastors or the local pastors, there's a big boss, a little boss. Um, but it's kind of what we see here that, that there is, we have these apostles who have went out, we have these early church planters who are overseeing the work of the local church until it can be birthed on its own and get its wings and, and do its thing. And so Paul was the one establishing the church and then he was incarcerated and, and held up. And so he sent Timothy to help with these pastors just to remind them about this is what it looks like. And so um, in Acts 20, 28, Paul said this, he said, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Okay, in Ephesians 4, 11 that I talked about previously, the word pastors translate, in the Greek it translates to the word shepherd. You're just shepherding a church. That's what a pastor is called to do. So what exactly does an elder do, right? An elder leads under the authority of Christ. Remember, the elders also belong to the church, so they don't have the final authority. Christ Jesus does. If, you're, if your pastor believes he has the final authority and making, is making his own doctrine, he would be considered one of these false teachers that Paul references in the first chapter. And that is wrong. Every single pastor or elder comes under the authority of Christ because he was placed there by God, appointed by God to lead the local church. Um, elders are to lead as servants. That's a huge because not oftentimes not every elder or pastor is a servant. Um, sometimes they take that platform and they think, okay, I've got the office. I no longer have to do the work and I no longer have to serve the people. And that is incorrect. If you had a shepherd shepherding a flock of sheep and he didn't do the work and he didn't serve his sheep, his sheep would die. And that's what happens to some churches because the local pastor is not a servant. He's not serving his people and they die. The churches die. People move far away from God, people move to other churches, and it becomes spiritually dead because the pastor isn't doing the work. Um, elders are appointed to shepherd the church that Jesus bought with his own blood. Once we realize the significance and the importance of that, we must feel the weightiness of that, of that position. The pastorate position is a weighty calling. And I hope that every pastor, male or female, knows the distinction. Um, an elder is to care for the body of Christ, right? A pastor is to protect the flock, and a pastor is to nurture the flock. Uh, they protect it by not allowing false doctrine in, uh, and they also nurture the flock. They feed the sheep, and they do the feeding of the sheep through the teaching of the word. 
One of the specific calls and the reasons why Paul says that women can't be an elder or a pastor is because they can't teach men. And a specific responsibility of an elder is to teach. So if an elder is to teach, an elder needs to be a studied person in the Word of God. He, he needs to meditate on the Word of God. He needs to study the Word of God. He needs to know the Word of God. And he needs to be able to communicate the Word of God. Simply knowing the Word but not being able to communicate the Word to your flock is not a good thing. Uh, shepherds need to give instruction. Shepherds need to tell their people where to go. And, and, if, and if a pastor and elder is not an effective communicator, it misses. Moses didn't feel like an effective communicator, so he stumbled and bumbled and asked God to send somebody else. And, and so he said, fine, I'll get Aaron to help you to be the speaker. You tell him what to say and he'll speak. But, um, you know, pastors, they need to be doing the speaking. So elders should model the character of Christ. There's many examples of that, what it looks like. It's in this chapter, the responsibilities of an elder. Uh, Titus 1, 5 to 9, the responsibilities of an elder. 1 Peter 5, 1 to 3, he talks about him being a fellow elder, pastor, right, planting churches. Um, and elders are not qualified or disqualified by their age, their likability, or their success in business. Remember, some pastors today are still part-time pastors. They also have jobs um, in the world uh, because their pastorates don't pay all of their bills yet. And so, um, you know, they're not, pastors should, are called by God. It's not based on whether or not a lot of people like them, if they have a huge following. I mean, that's how we get books published. They ask all those crazy questions, but pastors are called by God. And it is God through him that people are, are brought to Christ and that our people are nurtured and fed by the word of God. Um, and sadly, scripture gives no indication that females are to be pastors within the church. It doesn't, it, Paul is the one here that says, no, I do not allow. Uh, these aren't red letter words. These aren't saying, these aren't God saying, I don't allow. It doesn't say that God says they're not allowed. It doesn't say Jesus says they're not allowed. So it's not a definitive, but we, we don't find any um, answers for that in the Bible. However, I'll go back to what I said earlier is, is that God uses women. So, uh, Paul said, I don't use them, but we don't hear what the others had to say. The other people who were planting churches, they don't really talk about it. So that is open for debate still, and I'm sure many people will continue to debate that throughout history, unfortunately. So, um, but leaders, basically elders especially, are supposed to be models to follow within the church. So practical application for today, for your elder, are you being led by a servant? What does their personal life look like? Their social life? What does their spiritual life look like? What kind of decisions are they making? Do they have a good reputation within the church community as well as outside the church community? Um, what does that look like as a whole? And make sure that you're following somebody who is a servant. So important. Jesus was a servant. How could a, how could a local pastor be above Jesus? He can't. So... And just remember to give your pastor some breaks, some credit. Uh, no one can fulfill the qualifications of an elder perfectly. Nobody at all. But they can they can work to do their best to follow and be a Christ-like example. Um, when they stumble, they can confess and, and, and turn from that and, and dig back in and get back in the Word of God. And there's a lot of stress to be a pastor for sure. But knowing that you're called by God to do a work should give somebody great courage and confidence and boldness to do the things that they're called to do. Um, without fear of man. 
and the pastorate role also reminds me too of like a parent. When we parent and raise our children, we're called to, to nurture them, to feed them, to teach them, to be Christ-like models for them to follow. If parents just say, I'm gonna birth this child, or I'm gonna create, you know, have this child, just because I need to say that I have two and a half children on my resume, but then they abdicate all responsibilities to somebody else, but they call themselves a mom or dad, they're really not doing what was intended. And so they're hurting that relationship for sure, um, but they're also hurting the testimony of being a parent and child. And the true of the pastor as well, that we need to, if we're leading a flock, we need to be doing it well. We need to be like Jesus. We need to be a servant. Jesus was a servant of the servants. And so too should our local pastors. So going, getting quickly into the deacons, what do the deacons do? Well, the responsibilities of the deacons, they're called here um, in the next few verses, verses eight to 13. Back in eight, Acts 6, 1 to 7 is really when the call to deacon ministry started. Back then, the 12 were busy preaching and teaching, and they were overwhelmed with needs as the church grew. And so you can read through that scripture, but they named seven people to be these deacons, if you will, to minister to the needs of the poor and the widow and the orphan, and to take care of those needs so that the 12, the apostles, the church planters, the pastors, that they could be uh, steadfast in prayer and teaching. That's what they were called to do. And so they have these deacons set up. And so Paul reminds Timothy here again, okay, you have your pastors and you have your deacons. And this is what it looks like when a church is working well, that we need the pastor to do what he's called to do. We need the deacon body to do what they're called to do. Elders are servant leaders. Deacons are leading servants. So our deacons should be the ones that are out leading. They should be the ones who are ministering to the orphans and the widows. Um, they need to meet the needs of the church according to the word. That's what a deacon is to do. And many churches have active deacons, and I know my church has wonderful deacons, but they, they do the ministry, behind-the-scene ministry, oftentimes without notoriety or fame. Nobody really knows who they are unless you see them serving the Lord's Supper. And they do so much. And maybe the reason why they didn't tell them specifically what their duties are is because needs change according to the culture. Needs change according to a season. Needs change according to... Um, what is going on in the world. And so where one church might have a, be overrun with widows and orphans, one church might not be. And so if you say you're to tend to the needs of the widows and the orphans, well, what if you don't have a lot of widows and orphans, but you have other things too. And so the responsibilities are basically just to care for the needs of the church, care for the needs of the people within the church, try to serve the needs of the people outside the church so you can get them into the church. That's what a deacon is to do. They're leading servants. They also need to support the elders so the elders can lead, the pastors, so they can lead and spend time doing what they're called to do. Um, they, need to meet, they need to meet the needs without overrunning and usurping the authority of the pastor. That's what they're called to do. They're called to be servants and assist the pastor. That's what deacons do. They also need to unify the body around the word of God. They need to be unifying people within the church. They need to not be quarrelsome and complaining. They need to ease the tension. That's what was called for back in Acts chapter six. They said, uh, we need help. We need to ease it's, you know, there is strife and disunity going on because people's needs and people need food and people need clothing and shelter and all of these things. We can't do it all as the pastors, and so we need the deacons. And so the deacons need to come alongside and to ease the tension going on in whatever community it is that you're serving, whatever church body. 
Deacons are basically to be the shock absorbers. Right? People shouldn't go to all the pastor with everything, uh, some things, right? We need, shepherd needs to care for their flock. They need to nurture their flock. There needs to be a fine balance or you'll wear your pastor out. And so the deacon body comes around that pastor and helps out. Deacons must be a mission mindset. If someone's pulling the church away from the mission, which is the gospel, then the he or she does not need to be a, a deacon of the church. So you need to look at the same thing for today, the practical applications of a deacon, similar to how it applies, maybe with the exception of teaching, unless deacons in your body teach. They need to have the same things. What does their family look like? Their social life, life look like? What does their business life look like? Their reputation, um, their spiritual life. Look at all of those things. Now, the Bible doesn't make it clear again whether um, women should be deacons or not. There is some issue with some language, however, that perhaps gives us an indication that, yes, deacons, women can be deacons. And it has to do with, if you're reading the word, this word, the Bible, in its original language, it helps. Um, when we translate it to English, sometimes we lose words, we lose meanings, but it's very complicated. You might have to read it through in my notes, but when he transi transitions from verse 7, he um, is talking about here, he's talking about the elder to the deacon, then to the deacon's wives. There's some terminology here in the Greek that makes sense. So it says, right now, it currently in our English context reads, first elders, likewise deacons, likewise deacons' wives. However, in the original language, it really reads, first elders, likewise deacons, likewise deaconesses. Uh, because the Greek word in there for the wives, that word wife, is a Greek word, I'm not gonna to try to butcher the word, but it's a Greek word, but it's used in the original language to mean a woman, either unmarried, widow, or a virgin, or a married woman. So he uses this very ambiguous word that is used in other parts of scripture, simply referring to a woman, not a married woman, not a wife. Um, and so it really could be deaconesses because what First Timothy 3 never references is the elders' wives. What is their behavior and reputation to look like? Because Pastors, elders back then could be married. There was no preclusion that they couldn't be married. And so they never talk about an elder's wife. She doesn't, well, she doesn't have to have a good reputation, um, but a deacon's wife does. And so lots of scholars and commentators will say that their female deacons are allowed. And there is proof of this in the word of God. Um, in Romans 16, one to two, Paul writes this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Centria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Right? It wouldn't make sense that Paul would only allow one woman to hold the role of deacon in a church. He actually talks about many who came after Phoebe. Uh, there's Priscilla, uh, Romans 16.3. There's Mary, Romans 16.6. There's Junia, Romans 16.7. Tryphenia, Tryphosa, and Persis in Romans 16.12. These are examples in the Bible where Paul was using these women as deaconesses serving the church body, whether that be that they were, you know, married, um, serving in the role of a deacon's wife. Um, we don't know. I'd have to research that a little bit further. But the Greek word is uh, refers to a woman, not necessarily a wife. And it doesn't make sense that they would call out deacon's wives if they're not calling out elders' wives. That's what people would say. So to finish up quickly, um, for the church to operate in the manner in which it was to initially go forth, 
The church must have both servant leaders and leading servants. We need pastors who are servant leaders and we need a body of deacons who are leading servants. Leading servants, we're all servants within the church. Let's be clear, we are all servants within the church. It's the elder's job to teach and nurture and feed and it's the deacon's job to lead and fulfill the needs, but it's also the deacon's job to lift up the body and encourage the body to come alongside them. When they called those original seven deacons, it wasn't only seven deacons forever. Those seven deacons would have had to find people to help in the local churches to also serve in those capacities. And that's exactly what we need to do today. We all need to recognize our gifts, our spiritual gifts, our callings, uh, where there's a need in our church and we need to respond to those needs and we need to come alongside our deacon body. We need to come alongside the ministries within our church and we need to come alongside our pastors to help those within the church to meet the needs of our local church, to meet the needs of the big C church, and especially, especially, and most importantly, to reach the lost world with the gospel. Um, so we need to be a church on mission to do the work that God has called us to do in our capacities, um, all in the name of Jesus Christ. So that's today's lesson. Um, I hope you will uh, research that a little bit on your own. I know that this whole thing with women and men in the church and what their roles are, what their roles aren't, is super divisive. I've had conversations about it. Divisive. I mean, churches have broken up over it. Uh, people have been hurt by it. Um, but you know what? You need to dig in. Do a little bit of research yourself. Spend some time looking at it. Um, if you need my notes, like, like I said, they're on my website, sandalfeed.org. Books and Bible studies, click on that, and then there'll be a First Timothy under there. You can get this week's notes and the prior two weeks' notes. Um, if you want, you can listen to my podcast. That'll be up later today, or you can watch this Facebook Live back. You can share this with your friends. I would encourage you to do that. And anyways, I hope you have a wonderful, blessed week, and I will see you next week for chapter four of First Timothy.